Hello and welcome to the Goldberry Books Podcast, a conversation show about the way books make our lives richer. I'm David Kern here at Goldberry Books in Concord, North Carolina, and today's episode is about the best fiction of 2023 so far. We're halfway through the year, so it seems like the right time to dig into some notable books that you might not have heard of so far. So with that in mind, I reached out to one of my favorite book critics, Sam Zacks. He's the fiction critic for the Wall Street Journal, where he writes a weekly column about some of the best books from around the world. And he has great taste. He writes a lot about books in translation, uh, lots of books that you might not have heard of, and he doesn't necessarily just... Um, toe the company line, so to speak, on the bestsellers. So the list that you're going to hear from him that, that we just discuss here is not necessarily the, the books that you're going to see on you know, Amazon's front page or in the Target book section, but books that are unique, interesting, and have something profound to, to offer readers. Sam's a really smart reader with great taste, so I'm really excited to have been able to chat with him. So you know what? Without further ado, let's get right to it. Here's my conversation with book critic Sam Sachs about the best fiction out so far in 2023. Thanks for listening. Sam Sachs, thanks so much for coming on the podcast to talk about your favorite books of 2023 so far. Thank you for having me. We have about 30 minutes to chat, and I was thinking that's both plenty of time to to talk about a bunch of titles, but not necessarily enough time to get into the depths of too many titles. And, uh, you know, as you know from writing a weekly column on on the fiction that comes out every week. Um, So I wanted to start with a couple of specific kinds of books and i wanted to ask you this first is there a book that can that has come out this year so far that's just surprised you kind of maybe it came out of nowhere or maybe it's just a level up by a writer or uh maybe uh maybe it's just a um an interesting debut yeah that's a very good question there there um let's see well there there have been interesting debuts and there have also been a couple that um that came out of nowhere for me maybe there's i'll go with the the second category um okay. one and, and we can we can circle back to interesting debuts also yeah, yeah. One, one about which um i knew nothing and had no expectations and really just sort of took a flyer on um is a novel by uh, a spanish writer named belen gopagay and i'm de- I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. The last name is spelled G-O-P-E-G-U-I. And the name of the novel is called Stay This Day and Night With Me, and it's which is taken from Whitman, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And it is an extremely strange novel of ideas and politics that is played out kind of as a as a, a dialogue novel. But the framework of it is that the novel is presented as uh an application to Google to work for Google, but it's um, hmm. but it's meant to be a slightly subversive application in that it's not a normal application. It's it's this narrative that is sent to Google HR. It is sent on paper, not online, because hmm. that's part of the subversion. And instead of a basic application, it tells this story, and the story it tells is about the friendship, kind of the intellectual friendship or even intellectual romance between two people. One of them is um, an older woman who seems to be kind of a prodigy mathematician who has given her life to inventions or it's not totally clear what they are, but the, these sort of um, math-related 
products or online systems that are supposed to have some sort of social value. And she meets a young man who uh, is in university, I think, or maybe has just gotten out and he is looking to start his life, you know, as a computer programmer or doing something. And basically they meet, they're, they're, they're interested in AI and robotics and the future of all this stuff, but they're also interested in the ethical questions that surround these things and essentially it's one it's about their friendship which develops in light of their long conversations that they have about artificial intelligence about where civilization is going as as uh, computers take up more and more space in our lives and then woven into that is a personal story between the two characters basically the older woman um is becoming ill and so it's about sort of the end of her life uh and so that sort of is quietly woven into the story and, and it makes their conversations much more urgent and much more touching because it has this personal basis uh so it's very much a novel of ideas and of politics and of philosophy which i think maybe if i were going to make not useful generalizations i would say maybe that's not the sort of novel i'm necessarily all that attracted to but i found myself completely engrossed by it i think in large part because i was so taken by the characters and the relationship that they had and also uh there was something about the conversation that i found um both very disturbing and very disarming and the way they talk about ai um i i think it's one of those subjects that people speculate on but I think I think we tend to be a little bit afraid to face exactly how prevalent it's going to become in our lives and and one thing about this book is is that it basically says this is our this is the future of civilization and you need to accept that you need to understand that that everything is going to become increasingly uh aut automated and sourced out and the question is how then do we create a morality for artificial intelligence? Because right now, artificial intelligence is just working on the same sort of political system that we have going right now, which is not necessarily a particularly ethical system. And that's what it's learning and that's what it's perpetuating. And it's basically like, how can we create an ethical system for AI that we can then live under? Uh, I found it extremely trenchant and disturbing and interesting and then also moving because it has this human story in it so i, mm. I, I was completely i didn't know anything about this writer she, there, she has one other book in translation from 10 years ago or something which i mm. immediately sought out uh, who's the publisher who or who who released it the here? publisher is city lights oh, so okay. they're, they're the famous bookstore yeah, yeah. they also have a, a, a small indie press and they put out a few books a year not very many Mm -hmm. um, and I think they did this this author's previous book also, so they must have a relationship with this okay. Spanish author. Um, yeah, so I think I've looked at other reviews. Other people don't seem quite as uh, enamored of this book as I was, but I, I was I, I was completely um, sold on it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm so I'll stand by that, and uh, and 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 also because, like I say, I had no expectations at all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of like AI meets 
Mrs. Palfrey at the Claremont or something. It's something like that. It's a very, <laughs> yeah, it's a very funny, it's a, yeah, it's a very moving um, friendship because this much older woman and this young man, and it's very much a, it's it's not a physical romance, it's purely intellectual, but it's a very passionate intellectual mm. romance that happens because mm. he, he sort of reawakens her in certain ways and, and she has all this knowledge and experience and she's challenging him and upsetting him and in all sorts of ways and they have fights and they sort of don't talk for a while and then they make up and they keep talking Mm. Uh, and so that even that story itself it has a very is very convincing and has a very moving sort of arc to it Um, and then when you throw in all the other elements i'm extremely interested in 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 ai as a subject and and as it reflects on novel writing is also really interesting and Mm -hmm. this is not specifically about that but obviously there's a lot of overlap um so yeah, I, I was possibly a very good audience for it um, mm. in that yeah, yeah. sense. But I, I would say if you have the slightest interest in that subject, um, it's worth it's worth trying. You mentioned we could come back to debuts. Let's do that now. Was there? What's your? Uh, what's your? Can you, uh, how about we do? Maybe mention two or three debuts yeah. that this year have been, you know, standouts for you. Now, now that we're yeah. six months into the year. Absolutely, there there are two that that. Um, came to mind so so one is called western lane and the author is mm. chet maru m-a-r-o-o um it's a little it's like a thing it's not a very long book right it's very short exactly yeah. it's very short and it's very distilled and very satisfying so you know, it's what exactly it's one of those books you can read in an afternoon and, and an evening um it's set in england and it is about a sikh family um in which the matriarch of the family dies and the father who's kind of a handyman is left to care for his daughters and his daughter his daughters are all teenagers um and he is overwhelmed by it and also his whole community doesn't really think that he should be doing it and he has a sister or a sister-in-law who basically wants him to give up some of these daughters so that she can take care of them because it's just too much work for him and basically the way that he deals with it at first is he becomes uh, extremely obsessed with squash, with playing. He he gets he he starts becoming sort of like the the Richard Williams father of of squash. Hmm. And he, Venus and Serena Williams' father. Exactly, yeah, Venus yeah. and Serena Williams' father. At this point, you know the the kids are all sort of grown up. So and it's and it's you know something that he turns to sort of out of desperation. I mean, they're hmm. teenagers, but it happens that the youngest, who is the book's narrator and main character, um turns out to be the best and also the most interested in doing it. And so it's, again, it's, it's the two things playing out at once, a domestic drama about dealing with the death of one's mother and a, a person's wife. Um, and then also this kind of, it actually has a really satisfying um, sports narrative where there's this one person who enters a tournament and then the climax of the book is this tournament um and it's really well done and it's just when you do that well it's just inherently exciting yeah yeah. beautifully done but as i say it's all inflected by all this sort of personal complication which is also handled in a really nice way and as you say it's a short book so it's really put together by a lot of deftly written um sort of short scenes it's not impressionistic exactly but it's uh but the scenes are very well, are very selective and and very to the point. Um, 
So I thought it was a really moving and really nicely done book. It, you know, it doesn't have enormous aspirations, but what it goes for, it, it really achieves. Um, so that's one that I liked quite a lot. The other is um, uh, a novel called Close to Home, and the author is Michael McGee. And um, I'm going to know this book. It's got that. It's got the uh, teeth on the cover. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and this one seems like much more of a, of an autobiographical, you know, first novel, kind of much more what you would expect from a first novel. Um, but 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 it's not. Uh, but it's also extremely composed and very thoughtful, and it has a certain sort of. I don't know, objectivity about its subject. So this one is set in Belfast. And it's about a guy, a young man who grew up in Belfast, which, in, you know, impoverished Belfast, violent Belfast. It's sort of, it's, it's um, the setting is after the Troubles, essentially. So that the Troubles are over, but they're in everybody's minds. And there's a real sense of like, PTSD has just this this sort of war trauma has just sort of inflicted an entire generation and and the narrator's gem and the narrator's generation has sort of inherited it in some ways so it's so this is sort of hovering over the setting everywhere but the narrator has gone has gotten out has gone to school has gotten a literature degree in England and then has come home and then he doesn't really know what to do with himself he, he hasn't he didn't really make it you know, in the publish in the small magazine world, and he's just come home, and he and at the very beginning of the book, he goes to a party and he gets teased or taunted, and he assaults somebody, and he gets arrested for assault, and he gets and and he gets uh, probation and enormous amounts of community service, and basically he's he finds himself and he has no money, and he finds himself just sort of being dragged back into the into the morass of this kind of going nowhere, violent, misogynistic, drunken or drug fueled world that his brother is very much in, although he loves his brother, but his brother is just sort of trapped in it. His friends don't are, seem to be sort of trapped in it also, even though they talk about wanting to get out. And the story is just his sort of internal struggles and external struggles of trying to figure out a way out of this very uh insidious and extremely strong sort of whirlpool that's that seems like it's just going to pull him into this world that he doesn't want to be stuck in and part of it part of the way he gets out is through books because he just happens to love literature and to be interested in writing and it's just sort mm -hmm. of something that happens that he's continuously doing although the 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 book is good in that it doesn't it 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 plays it in a very understated way. It doesn't sort of turn that turn that into this sort of epiphanic, not completely persuasive thing. It just happens to be this other. It shows him another world that can exist that that mm. that exists in parallel to the other one. And then another thing happens here where he also makes a friend with uh, a woman from his hometown, from his neighborhood, and she too is trying to get out. And it's a really interesting relationship where it's a little bit romantic, but actually it's almost like it's more of a sympathetic friendship because they're mm. from the same place and they're trying to do the same thing. Um, and so the, the, the woman that he befriends, she clearly doesn't want really to be in a, 
in a relationship with him because she's trying to sort of escape the world that he represents, but she's also trying to help him and trying to show him this way out. Hmm. So it's a, so it does, it does two things. One, it wonderfully evokes the world that he comes from and not in a pitying way and not in a satirical way. I mean, although it's often very funny, um, in in an extremely loving way, but in a loving way that, that shows all, all its, faults and all its problems um and then it sort of sh- and then it, it tells the story of this guy's emergence from that from that world and there's something extremely um i say it's a first novel but when you read it you it's hard to believe a little bit because there's something extremely adult about how he handles the material mm-hmm. um it's uh, there's there's nothing self-pitying about it even though there's a lot of trauma there's nothing victimized about it, even though it, it could be like that. It's much more naturalistic and much more descriptive. And he has much more distance from the the narrator seems to have a certain objective distance about himself. as mm. uh, so can describe his plight and what he's doing, what he's going through, but without this kind of um, victim mentality that I think mm. very often comes mm. about in these, in these first person debut books. Uh, so it has a great, so it has a really strong narrative line as a result. There's a lot of, there's a lot of really, really powerful and funny set pieces, um, that carry the book towards a a pretty moving end. Hmm. Okay. So that's three books so far. Three so far. Let's do some more. Are you, um, is there any books that have stood out this year specifically because of the prose? Like for someone who just likes to read beautiful writing, is there yeah. any books that have stood out in that way? Yeah, definitely. So there are there are two writers who I've I've really liked for quite a long time, in strong part because of their prose. Their books are all extremely different, but the consistent thing is the is the strength of their prose. So one of these writers, her name is Myla Stekarengal. She's a French writer. Um, so we read her in translation. Um, and her latest book is a, is a short, is a novella. It's called Eastbound and the mm-hmm. nature of the, she read, she read it a while ago. So it's, it's not a reflection on, on current events, but it is about a Russian soldier. It takes place on the Siberian railroad, a Russian, Russian conscript, a Russian soldier has been conscripted to the army, a young man. He's taking the train with all the other conscripts. They're going to go to some army camp and he decides and kind of a ruinously, almost suicidal, spur-of-the-moment thing that he just doesn't want to do it. And he's going to try to escape um, the train and go into hiding, essentially. Mm. And the way he does it is he happens to meet this French woman who's taking the train, who had been in a relationship with a Russian man, and she's leaving it. She has her own story. She's taking the train somewhere to Siberia, kind of to clear her head. They happen just to meet, and they, again... (laughs) Again, it's one of these sort of quasi-romantic relationships where nothing actually happens, but they they suddenly understand each other. And she decides she's going to help him hide in her sleeper car. And the story is simply about him trying to escape the the, the military higher-ups who realize that he's gone missing and are trying to find him and, and this woman's attempt to help him. So it's a very short, compressed thing, almost like a thriller. Um but Miles Karengal is is a great prose stylist. She writes just a gloriously lyrical kind of writing, 
that's very uh, these long sweeping beautifully stylized sentences um there's a real sense of wonder and a and of joy in the mm. in, in the way that the prose um is written um and her all of her books about completely different things she's written one about a heart transplant and one about building a bridge and one about um surfing and one about kate bush i think and one about mm. being a waiter but it's the it's the sort of the the passionate sweep of her prose is is a is the consistent thing. And in the previous novels that were translated by FSG, they had a translator who's very good, but I think not quite um, perfect for her because he's he's I think just less comfortable with lyricism. But for this book, um, they have another translator. I think her name is Jessica Moore, and she's really she's really perfectly suited mm. to. Uh, Miles Karangal's writing, and it's 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 beautiful. So you get a real sense of the beauty of her prose, and it's a really good, satisfying novella at the same time. Mm. Uh, so so that's one. Uh, and the that's other Eastbound. writer, Eastbound. That's right, Eastbound. It's Archipelago Press. Um, the other writer is maybe potentially better known, and it, her name is Catherine Lacey. Um, mm. And she's, I think she's had four, I think this is her fourth novel. Um, again, they're all pretty different. Some are like tight first person monologue type things. One, you know, another one is much more of like a social satire. Another one is much more like a fable. This one I could spend forever trying to explain it. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a really bold, uh, boldly imagined book. It's called Biography of X. It is mm -hmm. the biography of uh, of an invented uh, artist, uh, a fictionalized artist told by her her significant other, written by her significant other after her death. But it's also the history of an alternative American history. So it's set in the present time of of an alternative United States in which. Uh, the South seceded from the North and then was re and then was reincorporated. So there's this whole extremely complicated alternate history, which is in the background of the story, while it's also telling this character's life. And this character is kind of like um, she she's sort of been everywhere in the culture scene through the 70s, 80s, and 90s. So it's also it's also a kind of a counter history of counterculture. And then it does very complicated things with sources. It uses real sources um, to inform this character's fictionalized diaries. So it's extremely complicated, extremely complex. And I would normally say that's just too much going on. And even when you read it, you sometimes feel like this is just too Byzantine. But the thing <laughs> is, Lacey is, is an incredibly convincing uh, writer, just as a, as a, as a stylist, Le much less lyrical i suppose uh, and fancy than miles to karangal but but solid and quotable and uh, aphoristic and um and i don't know clean in a in an extremely intelligent and very uh engrossing way and so the strength of her prose carries you through the extremely far-fetched and sort of outlandish premise that she's trying to establish and really grounds it and makes it convincing 
to an enormously greater degree than you would have thought is possible. And also, she's very good at writing about love, of writing about emotional stuff. And so mm-hmm. that's that's sort of the grounding point. And all of this, and all of this far flung uh, invention. It's also it's extremely grounded in the characters' emotional lives and, mm. and their loneliness and their sense of heartbreak and their sense of longing and desire, and that mm. re- very much is the central aspect of it and how that pertains to creativity and how that pertains to our to relationships. Mm. Uh, so she writes beautifully about that. So because of the the solidity and strength and intelligence of the prose you go to these incredibly remote places that you and, and complicated places that you wouldn't think a writer would be able to get you to, uh, you know, without straining credibility. Hmm. Okay. We only got a couple of minutes left. So I want to, you know, it maybe seem a little abrupt, but I want to move on to another question here. Um, so we've done five books so far. Um, okay. What, what books do you see that have come out so far this year that you suspect will show up on those the big awards lists you know last year by now the rabbit hutch had come out i think trust had come out you know these are books that won the national book award in the pulitzer are, what titles that you've you've seen so far in the first six months of this year do you think will be you know showing up on on those lists you know yeah. six to ten months from now yeah well the lacy is one that's possible I, I i think one book that has been one of those sort of enormous crossover things that that's both popular and um has a certain degree of critical um, success is um, Covenant of Water by mm. Abraham Berges. Yeah, we're uh, even in our shop. We sell that all the time. Oh, I bet you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he he, and and you know, th- there are aspects of that novel that are pretty soap opera ish, um, that are pretty melodramatic. Mm-hmm. But there are also aspects that are unique and have a real literary quality, and that is specifically when he's writing about medicine. He is a doctor. He, mm-hmm. he is a surgeon. I, I think he's still practicing, but I'm not totally sure. But anyhow, he was a practicing surgeon for many years, at least. And he writes about doctors and he writes about surgery. And he does it in a way that is both uh, memorable and also um, it's, it's, not, it's not sort of dryly clinical and heartless. It's really moving and it's really... Uh, he, he, he's thinking about the doctor's point of view and the things that the doctor is thinking about, but he's also attentive to the patient. And it's just, he, he writes it as though it were a dance, as though it were some sort of communal thing happening between doctor and patient. So there really are uh, literary qualities to that book. So if it does win awards, it, it's not, it wouldn't just be based on, you know, it's, it's uh, commercial popularity. Mm. Um, and that's Covenant of Water. <laughs> The Covenant of Water. Yeah, that's right. Um, there must be others. They, I have to say that um, Autumn is an absolutely enormous... I, I, I can't remember um, a season that has been more stacked with um, pretty big-name writers uh, than was, the season that's about to come up. I was going to so, ask you at the end to, to rec- say something that you're looking forward to. Yeah, there, there's a huge amount. And let me let me call it my list. But I mean, I so with, with the preface being that I haven't read these so i so i'm not necessarily sure, um, of course yeah. them. but even if we just restrict ourselves to americans there there are um books by lauren groff tim o'brien mm-hmm. has, a, has a his first novel in like 20 years um, yeah. teju cole has a novel ben fountain has his first novel since um billy lynn's long halftime walk is that what it's called and mm-hmm. that was 
And this is like a 600 page book that he's clearly been writing for a very long time. Um, Does the Nathan uh, Hill book isn't there? Yes, that's right. Nathan Hill has another book after after his debut, The Knicks, and that's would be a pretty big deal. Jane Ann Phillips has a book, which I think is a post Civil War novel. Um, uh, well, and then this summer we still have Ann Patchett's got something in what August or September, and then we've got Colson right. Whitehead. Ann Patchett, Colson Whitehead has a has a sequel um, from his crime novel. Um, Ayanna Mathis, Mathis, who was an uh, Oprah pick for her debut, it's her second book after about ten years. Jasmine Ward, who oh, won, right, the, yeah. won the National Book Award with her first two, I think, with her first two novels. So this is her mm-hmm. third one. So, mm-hmm. um, Shimpa Lahiri has a book of stories. Uh, Jonathan Lethem has a novel which I think is a sequel to Motherless Brooklyn. I could be wrong about that, but I think Alice McDermott has another yeah. novel. One yeah, you're right. It's stacked. It's crazy. It's crazy. And then, and then non-Americans, Jam Kotsea has a book. Zadie Smith has a book. Um, I'm very excited about Paul Murray's novel, The Bee Sting. Paul Murray wrote Skippy Dies. Um, I don't know if you know that book, which is a great Irish I do, novel. but I haven't read that. Oh, it's great. And this is another kind of comic philosophic novel. Mm-hmm. And it's huge, about 800 pages or something like that. Um, Daniel Mason is a really interesting writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, it's crazy. That, that new thing, I, I have the arc for the Daniel Mason book, and that book looks really interesting. It looks extremely interesting. Yeah, it's set in like one house over a course of many centuries in New England, I think. Benjamin yeah. Labatut, who wrote When We Cease to Understand the World, about, you know, insane uh, scientists, has one. And this one is, again, about AI and about mathematicians, the mathematician who spearheaded AI. So it's mm. not, and it's so it's going to be another sort of gothic imagining of, 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 of this scientific innovation, which is also extremely relevant mm. to what's going on in the, in the world right now. So that's and that's with a, with a big press. So that's so that's going to be a big deal. Justin Torres has his first book since uh, We Animals, which was like 15, 20 years ago. No, it's a, it's a it's a crazy season. I think I think um, the COVID well, stuff. Publishing has been uh, trying to re- recuperate from the pandemic for yeah. a pretty long time. And I think the last two years, they've been kind of like doing the best they can. And now there's some sort of critical mass where all the books are suddenly yeah, suddenly coming out. So, so yeah. Gonna be, it's going to be interesting to see them all kind of try to compete against each other. Yeah, I know. I'm curious to see which ones sort of, uh, you know, make their voices heard amongst the clamor. Yeah, I'm interested. All right, before we let you go, I want to do something. I want to ask you about one book that I have been very taken by, and I want you to tell me yay or nay. (laughs) Okay. Well, I hope I've read it. I I think you have. It's um, so it is "The Sun Walks Down" by Fiona McFarlane. Oh yeah, no, uh, very much a yay. That would be uh, you know, if we if we were talking longer about other things that have really struck me, I was I was really interested in this writer. I liked her. Her debut provisionally. I thought the writing was excellent and I didn't think this, there was much going on with the story. Uh, the Night Visitor, I think it was called. So so this, so I was really interested in this. And I think I think it's wonderful. I, I really... Okay, admi- all right, good. <laughs> I, I really admired it. Um, yeah, yeah, a nice, an Australian outback novel. And it's kind of, the premise is, you know, a child gets lost in the outback. You couldn't find a more stereotypical Australian novel premise, but it's totally aware of that. Yeah. Um, and it's playing with that and it's using all the previous sources 
and it's expanding on them and subverting them. But also, it's just, as you, I think, it's often just very beautifully written mm-hmm. in a way that, once again, sort of carries out whatever whatever it's trying to do thematically or, or morally or based on ideas, the, the strength of the prose really helps it. So, yeah, I, right. I'm all for it. Well, as I was reading it, I kept thinking, this is someone who's read, like, mythology and a lot of Steinbeck and the Old Testament. And, you know, yes. that can become a little bit fraught when you start thinking about things like that. But I think that, you know, I'm not saying she's John Steinbeck, but I think that she it, she's not trying to be John Steinbeck, but those influences are there, but not in a way that's like, hey, look, I read John Steinbeck. It just seems like she's read John Steinbeck, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I do know what you mean. And it's uh, the other thing I liked, it's uh, it's multivocal. It has lots of characters. Yep. And and, um, and they play off each other really nicely in sort of in, in subtly ironic ways, but mm-hmm. also in uh, in a way that shows her range. And also, if you're not totally taken by one of the characters, you're quickly on to onto another one. So. One of my people who listen to my podcast know that one of my biggest complaints about contemporary fiction is how many books try to do that, but then all the voices sound the same. Yes, and I you just completely agree. But in this book, you're, you're, you, you, it does what you're saying there. If you're not taken by one voice, you can go to the other one because they don't all sound. They don't just sound like Fiona McFarlane. That's right. That's right. And it allows her to have her cake and eat it too, because she can also sort of, one of the characters is an artist, so she can have some sections that are very arty and very yep. sort of written in a very high style. And then one of the characters is a child. So then, she, you know, she writes in a completely different way. And one of them is just sort of like a newly married housewife who has a completely different voice and completely mm-hmm. different perspective. Yeah. So she gets, she's able to, to get all the different kinds of voices that could that could show up there and she does take advantage of those different perspectives you're right mm. it's not just it's not just her in different uh, situations that's mm. right do you think that one will show up on any end of the year stuff or is it kind of too far flung uh i think it could yeah yeah um but it's a big publisher no, I, isn't it fsg or yeah it was fsg yeah i think it got good reviews uh, you know i i'm always I'm always interested in, uh, I think people are always just a little bit confused of how to deal with Australian literature. Like, it's, yeah, 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 yeah. It's familiar, but it's also like not familiar. So it's English, but it's in this place that nobody's ever been to. So they don't quite yeah. know about it. I think, I think, uh, but you know, there's been a lot of really good Australian, lit- a lot of interesting Australian literature this year for whatever reason. Uh, Jen Craig had a book, which was really interesting. And they're publishing Helen Garner's. Um, the children's Bach, and there was something else. Uh, uh, Michael Winkler had a novel called Grimish, which is really interesting about a boxer. Uh, so I don't know. It's uh, there's been a lot of a lot of Auslit has been showing up here, and so maybe it's maybe there's going to be more attention to it um, as a kind of a phenomenon. Hmm. Well, I got to let you go. Thank you so much for the time. Um, Thank I'm, you. Love we'll be chatting about this stuff. Yeah, we'll be we'll be checking out your column every week in the Wall Street Journal on all the great books that are coming out. And I always appreciate the way you write about translation and, and that seems to be a passion of yours. So thank you for that. Well, thank you.